السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد I think we're going to start off with some questions from um, our last lesson inshallah ta'ala uh, so yeah far away so the question is concerning doing ruqya upon oneself as opposed to asking someone else to do ruqya upon you uh, and is that a level of higher tawakkul so uh, don't misunderstand the issue it's not haram or disallowed to ask someone else to recite upon you or for someone else to recite upon you as long as what they're reading obviously is something which is authentic and correct it's not haram for someone for example to ask an imam a sheikh someone from their family to recite over them whether it's the quran or whether it's a dua or something else and we mentioned that the prophet used to do this either he would be asked or himself he would begin and he would uh, make that dua over someone so that's not a problem the, what we said though, it is that it is a higher level of tawakkul. It is a higher level of certainty in Allah, trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you don't ask someone else to recite over you, but that you take that recitation upon yourself. Right? And so don't get the two issues confused. Uh, can you recite the once in the evening or before going to sleep? And is it sufficient? I.e., will you attain protection from all evil? Or do you need to do it at both times, evening and going to sleep? So the question is, do we read them in the evening only, or in the evening and before going to sleep? Both of them are mentioned in the sunnah. Both of them are mentioned in the sunnah, it's mentioned in the morning, it's mentioned in the evening, and it's mentioned before going to sleep in different ahadith. So I think that the safest way, or the, the, what is taken from the apparent meaning of the text, is that you do it all three. You do as part of your morning adhkar, your evening adhkar, and then the adhkar that you make before you go to sleep or in bed. And after prayers as well? And after prayers, because all of them are mentioned, uh, congregation, all the obligatory prayers, all of them are mentioned in different ahadith. Uh, when did the Prophet say, Subhanallah uh, in the witr, uh, as in which part of the prayer? So the question is, when did the Prophet say, Subhanallah in the witr prayer? He would say it after the taslim. So he would make the salams, and then his dhikr that he would make, because normally the dhikr that we make is astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. For the witr, he would begin with this. And he would say, Subhanallah, three times. And the narration says on the third time he would elongate al-Quddus. Subhanallah, like he would elongate the name of Allah Azza wa Jal. And then he would continue with uh, any other dhikr that he may want to make. Is a person allowed to recite in any of those um, in, in the salah? And also can you recite the mut- something other than that? Other than the shahad ones as well? Yeah, so like, um, we, we met, uh, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud one was mentioned in the different qiraat. Okay. So uh, the question is, when we spoke about the qiraat, is it allowed for someone to recite in any of those qiraat? Uh, I'm not sure if they mean mutawatir or shahad. So, so the, we mentioned that, uh, I think we mentioned that... The Mutawatta. Uh, we mentioned 10, 10 yeah. and then we said they've got two students. Yeah. Then you said there's other than that. 
Okay, so let me break down the question. So when you're reading Quran, right, um, especially in Salah, so obviously if, if someone's reading in terms of they're studying Qiraat or they're reading to a teacher, there's no issue, right, to mix up between the Qiraat. And that's how you actually read the Qiraat to a teacher because to go through the Quran 20 times from cover to cover, each Qari at a time would take you many, many years. So the way that it's recited, the way that you read to a teacher is you could do something called Jam, which is to recite them all together. And so that's done so it saves you time and it makes it easy for you to read. So there's no problem with that. The issue comes in something like Salah. So for example, if someone is reading, and we're just talking about the Mutawatir Qiraat, someone starts Fatiha and they start Fatiha in Hafs. And then after Fatiha, they're reading in Warsh. And then in the next Raka'ah, when they stand up, they start in a different Qiraat, maybe Bazi. And then after Fatiha, in the second Raka'ah, they go to Susi. And so what they're doing is they're mixing between the different Qiraat. Is that allowed or not allowed? Or even in, in the same verse, in the same Qiraat, they start Fatiha, but they mix between the different Qiraat. If you were to ask the Qur'an, they would say no. You don't do that, right? It's not something which you do. Why? Number one, because of its confusion. So the person behind you doesn't know what you're reciting, doesn't know. And remember, because there's variances in wording, not only in Tajweed rules, but in wordings as well, a person standing behind the Imam wouldn't know necessarily if this person is making a mistake and needs to be corrected, or if they just switch in Qiraat, right? And so it causes a sense of confusion. And especially for those people listening, and they're not aware, and they're not familiar with Qiraat, and they don't know how someone is, is changing from one to another, it may be confusing. Uh, and secondly, because they say it's just not something which the Qur'an did in terms of their own, in, in terms of recitation, that they would switch and swap. However, there is another uh, body of opinion, and I think it is the opinion of Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, and I think Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, supported this as well, and other scholars, and they said the opinion, their opinion was Kulluhu Qur'an. All of it is Qur'an. And because it's authentically established from the Prophet wasallam, it is Qur'an. And I think that the way that you combine or reconcile between those two views is they're speaking about number one, permissibility, and number two, what is better. So in terms of permissibility, meaning is your salah valid? Someone starts off in warsh and finishes in hafs, and just changes between qiraat, is the salah correct and valid? If you're reading behind an imam who does that, is your salah correct and valid? Yes, it's valid. Because it's all Qur'an, and it's all mutawatir from the Prophet ﷺ. But what the Qur'an say is that it's something which should be avoided. It's not something which is best practice, if you like. It's not something which should be recommended or encouraged, not least because of which uh, the issue of the confusion that arises because of it. So I think that's the way that you amalgamate between those two. Now in terms of the Qiraat Shadha, so that's the Mutawatir Qiraat. When you come into the Shadh Qiraat, right, which are not the ones that are widely accepted and widely recited and so on, they don't have all of those conditions that we mentioned for the Qiraat, which is Mutawatir, then that's not something which you read in the Salah. It's not something which you read in the Salah, nor is it something that you would read generally unless it's for studying purposes. So those Qiraat, or at least five or four of them, uh, are still taught and they're still memorized and they're still known so if you go to some of like the uh, like the, the experts in the science and some of the people who are at the pinnacle of this field they will say to you that I have memorized the 14 qiraat not 7 not 10 they say 14 and you know they're like scratching your head like there's only 10 and what they're referring to is 4 additional qiraat that are shad they're not recited in 
but they're studied and they're still used, they're still recorded because it's for studying purposes. And obviously, as we said before, some of that can be used for tafsir because it is the statements of the companions. So it's not something which you would read in salah. It's not something which is accepted in salah, nor is it something which is accepted as part of the, the, the Mus'haf of Uthman. But in terms of studying and, and for example, learning those qira'at and knowing what shad qira'at are and so on, then that's something which obviously is, is you know, still something which is studied and recorded and it's still passed down from generation to generation. Even, I think, I think it is also within Isnat. Yeah, within Isnat. Meaning that teachers have given Isnat for it. Not that it's mutawatir, but that there is an Isnat. Like, for example, in the books of Hadith, it's Isnat. Till today, you can read Bukhari, and someone will give you a Sanad, and other books of Hadith. So, that principle, I think, is still, is still applied to those four Qur'an. Is everything? Okay, so... Our last lesson uh, began with Surah Al-Ikhlas and we, uh, we did like an introduction to Surah Al-Ikhlas. We spoke about its names, we spoke about uh, its cause of revelation, we spoke about whether it's a Makki or Madani, we spoke about its many virtues, and then we expanded on uh, the issue of it being equal to a third of the Qur'an. Surah Al-Ikhlas is equal to a third of the Qur'an. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse number one of Surah Al-Ikhlas, He says, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدٌ Say that he is Allah, the one. The qul in this first verse, as we mentioned previously, some of the scholars or some of the companions wouldn't read the qul. But they would read huwa Allahu ahad. Right? And this is reported as the qira'ah of Ibn Mas'ud, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu an, that he wouldn't read the qul. And he would say qul is a command from Allah azza wa jal. You read what is after the qul. But obviously, as we said before, it is authentically established from the Prophet ﷺ and it is the mutawatir uh, narration from the Prophet ﷺ in, in the reading of the Qur'an that the qul is part of the verse, right? it's part of the Qur'an. Qul huwa Allahu ahad, right? say that Allah Azza wa Jal is the one. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah in his tafsir he said that this verse means that Allah Azza wa Jal is one and unique who has neither partner nor anyone similar to him nor any, uh, any associate and this name of Allah Azza wa Jal, meaning Ahad, the one, is only mentioned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, only mentioned for Allah Azza wa Jal. It is a name that belongs only to Allah because He is the one alone who is complete in His attributes and in His actions. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded the Prophet wasallam to say Qul. In our last lesson, we spoke about the, uh, the cause of revelation and how the number of narrations concerning this incident, even though each one of them is weak in and of itself from the point of view of a chain of narration, but together they support one another and they lift the validity of the hadith and they make it an acceptable hadith. And that is that the, uh, and, and there are variances even in the narrations, but that the, the, the Quraysh or the Mushrikeen of the Arabs, the pagans, they came to the Prophet wasallam, and they said to him, tell us the lineage of your Lord. Right? Tell us the lineage of your Lord. And often in the Quran what you'll find is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to a question that was asked to the Prophet wasallam, very common in the Quran, he responds by saying two things. One of two ways. And sometimes the two of them are merged. The first of them is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the question and he says, Yes, alunaka. They ask you concerning. Right? And this is common in the Quran. Yes, alunaka ruh. Very common in the Quran. They ask you concerning 
And then the second way that Allah Azza wa Jal responds is قُلْ Say. Right? Something happened, and now the Prophet ﷺ has been given the response, and he's been commanded by Allah Azza wa Jal to say this in response to a question or a query that was paid, uh, put forward to him. And sometimes the two are merged. يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الرُّوحِ قُلِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْلِ رَبِّي يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْمَحِيضِ قُلْ هُوَ أَذَا يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الشَّهْرِ الْحَرَامِ قِتَالٍ فِيهِ قُلْ قِتَالٌ فِيهِ كَبِيرٌ They ask you concerning those issues, say to them. Right? And then the Prophet ﷺ is told how to respond. So that's very common. Those two ways in the Qur'an are very common. So in this narration, as we mentioned, the Prophet ﷺ was asked, tell us who is your Lord? Right? What is the lineage of your Lord? And by the way, there is a hadith in Abu Dawood, uh, and from what I remember is an authentic hadith, in the Sunan of Abu Dawood, that the Prophet ﷺ said that the people will continue to come to you and ask you, and they will say, هَذَا خَلْقُ اللَّهِ all of this is the creation of Allah, meaning the mountains, the oceans, the humans, all of this is the creation of Allah. فَمَنْ خَلَقَ اللَّهِ But who created Allah? So if they say that to you, then say to them, Allahu al-Ahad al-Samad الَّذِي لَمْ يَلِدْ وَلَمْ يُولَدْ وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٍ Meaning in response to them, recite to them this surah, Surah Al-Ikhlas. Meaning that Allah, no one created Allah because Allah is and then you mentioned the surah, and obviously we'll go through that in detail. So it is a response to the question that they had, what is the lineage of your Lord? Right? Who is Allah? Where does Allah come from? What is the origin of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And know that those questions in and of themselves are kufr and disbelief anyway, but it shows to you the thinking of the Arabs, right? Because the Arabs, their understanding of a God, and even though the Prophet is telling them that I only worship Allah, Right, the one above the heavens and the earth, the one who created everything and so on. But the Arabs, because of how entrenched they were in their shirk and in their disbelief and in their paganism, didn't understand the concept that the, the Muslims would be worshipping a god or a deity that didn't have a form and creation like they had for their gods. Because they would create their gods themselves, right? Either their gods are righteous people, noble people, that they made idols in their shape of, all the gods that they formed for one reason or another, they made by themselves with their own hands. They built them, they shaped them, they formed them. So they know their ancestry, they know their lineage, they know their origin. So they're asking the same question to the Prophet ﷺ, right? You ask us about so-and-so and so-and-so. Like Allah Azza wa mentions in Surah Nuh, when he speaks about the gods that the people of Nuh السلام, used to worship. Right? And he says, وَلَا تَذَرُنَّا وَلَا سُوَاعًا وَلَا يَغُوثَ وَيَعُوقَ وَنَسْرًا and the people of Nuh said to their people, they said to one another, don't leave and abandon your gods, Wad and Suwa and Yaghuth and Ya'uq and Nasr. And in the hadith of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, we know that those five men were righteous men, noble men, who after they died, shaitan came to the people of Nuh and he said to them that those were righteous people, why don't you make idols in their shape and in their form so that when, pe- when you see them, you're reminded of their goodness, you're reminded of their righteousness, their piety, and you will be inspired to do something similar. And that's what they did. Until generations came and went and passed, and they forgot the purpose of their idols, and then Iblis came to them again, Shaytan, and he said to them that your forefathers, your ancestors used to worship these idols besides Allah, so the people started to worship them, and that's how shirk became established upon earth. 
Right? So the Quraysh have a very similar concept. What is the lineage of your Lord? The second narration of the same hadith, and that is the weaker narration, is that it was the Jews who came and asked that question. The Jews of Medina, they came and asked the question, the same question, but it was the Jews rather than the pagans, the mushrikeen of, of uh, Mecca. It's the Jews who came and asked this question to the Prophet wasallam, And that's why we said we have also the difference opinion of opinion amongst the scholars of tafsir as to whether Surah Al-Ikhlas is a Mecca Surah or a Madani Surah. Because if it's the Jews who ask the question, then it's after the Hijrah. It becomes a Madani Surah. And if it's the pagan Arabs, then it's before the Hijrah and it becomes a Makki Surah. And Allah knows best. And we said that the majority of scholars of Tafsir seem to lean towards it being a Makki Surah. Amongst the companions, amongst the scholars of Islam, Ibn Kathir, Al-Baghawi, many others. It's one of the two opinions of Abdullah ibn Abbas. Ibn Abbas has both statements that are narrated from him. So Allah is commanding the Prophet is to answer them, right? to respond to their statement, right? And we'll see something similar also, by the way, in um, Surah Al-Kafirun. And even in Surah Falaq al-Nas, even though there isn't a, um, you know, we said that perhaps one of the causes of revelation is because of the Prophet ﷺ becoming bewitched, right? Some, some magic was placed on the Prophet ﷺ. And some of the scholars hold that to be the reason of revelation for Surah Falaq al-Nas. And so the qul in those two surahs, therefore, is a response also to an incident that took place, right? to a situation that took place, and the Prophet ﷺ is being commanded by Allah to respond to it, right? by seeking refuge in Allah from the apparent evils and the hidden evils. So in this surah, Allah is responding to that statement of the Quraysh. Who is your Lord? Where does he come from? What is the ancestry, the lineage of your Lord? Qul, say to them, Huwa, he is, meaning Allah. Right? Because they said, describe your Lord. So now he's responding, he is. Right? Allah Azza wa Jal, he is. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses his name and he says Allah. Now this is the first time in the Quran that we've come across the name Allah. Because we started obviously in reverse order. Right? Obviously if you start from Fatiha, it comes straight away. But if you start in reverse order, Surah Nas doesn't contain the name Allah. Surah Falaq doesn't contain the name Allah. The first time in reverse order that the name of Allah, the name Allah comes, is in the first verse of Surah Al-Ikhlas, right? That He is Allah. And that actually brought me to an issue that I was looking in, and that's mentioned in some of the books of Tafsir, and it's mentioned in different places. It's normally mentioned the first time that the name of Allah is, is referred to. It's an issue that is brought up. But because we're doing everything in reverse, you know, I kind of have to look at like, what the scholars of tafsir mentioned the first time it's mentioned in the Quran in chronological order, and then try to bring it into the way that we're doing it. And one of those issues that is mentioned in detail concerning this name Allah is a topic that is called Ismullah al-Azam. What is the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Right? What is the greatest name of Allah subhanahu So we know that in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to himself by a number of names. Right? And it is a very common ending to a verse of the Qur'an that Allah concludes with one or two of his names, subhanahu wa ta'ala. But the names of Allah Azza wa Jal are many. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءُ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُوهُ بِهَا And to Allah belongs the greatest and the most beautiful of names, so call upon him using them. 
And then Allah Azza wa throughout the Quran, He tells us what His names are. Right? Al-Qawi, Al-Aziz, Al-Ghafoor, Al-Rahim, Al-Hay, Al-Qayyum, Al-Sami' Al-Basir. All of those names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there are others that are mentioned in the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. But there is a chapter here or an issue here that comes up and it's mentioned in a number of hadith. And that is the issue of what of all of those names is the single greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the reason why that issue comes up is because it's something that is mentioned in the sunnah. And some of the scholars of tafsir, they point to this issue when speaking about the name Allah or they speak about the names of Allah in general. There's a number of hadith that have been uh, authentically relate, uh, reported from the Prophet wasallam concerning this name, Ismullah al-A'zam. Al-A'zam means the greatest. Right? It is Ismu Tafdeel. So Azim means great. Al-A'zam means the greatest. Right? What is the greatest of those names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The first hadith in which it is mentioned is the hadith of Abu Umama, radiyallahu anhu, that is collected by Ibn Umajah in his Sunan, and it is authentic, that the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ismu Allah al-A'zam, fi suwarim min al-Qur'ani thalath, fi al-Baqarati wa ali imrana wa taha. The greatest name of Allah is mentioned three times in the Quran in three different surahs. In Al-Baqarah, in Ali Imran, and Taha. So it's a very generic hadith, right? It's mentioned three times in the Quran in these three surahs. One of the scholars of the Salaf, uh, a scholar by the name of Hisham ibn Ammar, he said that what's being referred to by these three verses is Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayat Al-Kursi. Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyu al-qayyum. And in Surah Ali Imran, the first verse, or the opening one or two verses, Alif Lam Mim, Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum. And the verse in Surah Taha is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, Wa'anatil wujuhu lil-hayyul qayyum. So these three verses, right, they mention two names that are mentioned in the first two verses, and three names that are mentioned in all three verses. The two names that are mentioned in both verses is the name Allah, right? It's in Ayat al-Kursi and it's in, in fact, Ayat al-Kursi has more than those because you can have Al-Ali, Al-Azim and so on from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Surah Al-Imran, we have the name Allah as well. And the name that is mentioned in all three of those verses is Al-Hayyul Qayyum, right? The ever-living and the self-sufficient, the one who suffices all of his creation subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, the hadith itself doesn't go into that detail. The hadith is generic. Right? These are scholars who came later and they made an explanation of the hadith. The hadith itself says there's a verse in Baqarah, right? and you know, there's 286 verses in Baqarah. Ali Imran, and that's the second longest surah of the Quran, so it's not really narrowing it down. And Taha. Right? And the name Allah appears in all three surahs. Al-Hayyul Qayyum appears in all three surahs as well. The second hadith is the hadith of Anas radiallahu anhu. This time collected in the four sunan, At-Tirmidhi, Abu Dawood, An-Nasai, Ibn Majah, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he says, كَانَ مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أَنَّهُ كَانَ مَعَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ جَالِسًا وَرَجُلٌ يُصَلِّي ثُمَّ دَعَى اللَّهُمَّ إِنِّي أَسْأَلُكَ بِأَنَّ لَكَ الْحَمْدِ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ الْمَنَّانِ بَدِيعُ السَّمَاوَاتِ فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لقد دعا الله باسمه العظم الذي إذا دعي به أجاب وإذا سئل به أعطى أنس رضي الله عنه says that I was sitting with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and there was a man who was praying 
And as he was praying, he made a dua and he said, Oh Allah, I ask you by the, one, by, by the fact that you are worthy of all praise. None has the right to be worshipped except you, Al-Mannan. Al-Mannan is the one who bestows without asking for anything in return. Right? Al-Man, for us, for me and you, is something which isn't, which isn't praiseworthy. Right? Allah Azza wa says in the Qur'an, in, uh, in Surah Al-Baqarah, لا تبطلوا صدقاتكم بالمن والأذى Don't destroy your charity by making men. What is men? That you give someone something and then you hold that favor over them. You remind them, you're constantly pestering them, oh, but I did this for you, right? Oh, now you can't even help me, right? Don't you remember I gave you that and this? And that's called men. But Allah Azza wa Jal is al-mannan. He gives and he gives and he gives and Allah Azza wa Jal doesn't expect anything in return. He doesn't hold it over us. It doesn't hold it over us, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Badi'u samawati wal ard. The one who created the heavens or came with the heavens and the earth. Yadal jalali wal ikram, the one to whom belongs all honor and all grace. Ya hayu ya qiyum, the ever living, the self sufficient. And then the Prophet said after he made this dua, he has asked Allah by his greatest name. The name which, if, he is, if dua is made with it, Allah responds. And if Allah is asked by it, he will give. Right? And that is obviously the whole reason why the scholars spend so much time and effort trying to narrow down what is the greatest name of Allah. Because of this virtue, that if you make a dua with Allah's greatest name, Allah responds. If you ask for something, Allah gives. Right? That's the whole reason behind it. But again, what do we see in this hadith? What do you see in this hadith? Okay, the name Allah is in there, but what else? It's very generic. Because multiple names have been mentioned. Right? You have Al-Mannan, Badi'u Samawati Wal-Ard, Allah, Yadil Jalal Al-Qram, Ya Hayyu, Ya Qayyum, five different names, right? And the Prophet didn't specify, didn't pinpoint, he just said one of those names is from the greatest names of Allah Azza wa Jal. Another hadith. And this time the hadith is in uh, At-Tirmidhi, Abu Dawood, and Ibn Umajah, on the authority of a companion by the name of Burayda, Ibn Al-Husayb, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam heard a man making dua and say, Allahumma inni as'aluka anni ashadu annaka anta Allah, la ilaha illa ant al-ahadu samad, alladhi lam yalid, walam yulad, walam yakun lahu kufuan ahad. And this is obviously where the... the this name of Allah, the greatest name of Allah, fits in with Surah Al-Ikhlas. فَقَالَ لَقَدْ سَأَلْتَ اللَّهَ بِالْإِسْمِ الَّذِي إِذَا سُئِلَ بِهِ عَطَى وَإِذَا دُعِيَ بِهِ أَجَابِ The Prophet ﷺ heard this man making a dua and say, Oh Allah, I ask you by the fact that I testify to your oneness. None has the right to be worshipped except you. And you are the one, As-Samad, the one who neither has children nor parents, and no one is, or nothing is similar to you. And then he made his dua and the Prophet said he asked by Allah's greatest name by which if he is asked he gives and if dua is made by it, it is answered. And again, what is, you know, other than the name of Allah, the name Allah, what is being mentioned here? And the name Allah is in Surah Al-Ikhlas as well. It's the whole of Surah Al-Ikhlas, right? The whole of Surah Al-Ikhlas is what is mentioned in that dua. So these are the three most famous hadith. Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, he said that this third hadith, the one that I just mentioned, the hadith of Buraida, this hadith is the strongest of those hadith in terms of chain of narration. So out of those three hadith that we mentioned, 
He said the third one is the one that is strongest in terms of chain of narration. And then there are other ahadith, but those ahadith, either the scholars have differed over its authenticity or the, the hadith is weak. So for example, we have the hadith of Asma' bint Yazid radiyallahu anha that she said that the Prophet said, Ismullahi la'adham fi hatin al-ayatin wa ilahukum ilahu wahid la ilaha illahu ar-Rahmanur Rahim wa fatihatu surati Ali Imran alif lamim Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyu al-qayyum she said that the Prophet said Allah's greatest name is contained in these two verses. The first is the verse, and your Lord is, or your God is only one God. None has the right to be worshipped except Him. He is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, the most gracious, the most merciful. And the second verse is the beginning of Surah Ali Imran, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyu al-qayyum. And this hadith is in the Tirmidhi, Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah, but the scholar said it is a weak hadith. Right? So, what does Shaykh al-Bani rahimahullah say? He, he mentioned all of these narrations and he said these are authentic and those are not authentic and these are the ones that the scholars differ over. And he mentions and he gathers them all. And he said that if you look at all of those ahadith, you have two types. They fit into two broad categories. Either they are authentic, but they're generic. They're authentic, but they're generic. Or, number two, they are specific, but they're weak. They're inauthentic. So, for example, the hadith that we mentioned are authentic, but they don't specify. In fact, if anything, they're confusing. Sometimes one name is mentioned, sometimes more than one name is mentioned. We don't know which one of those names is the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And sometimes a hadith are specific, like this hadith of Usma' bint Yazid is fairly specific. Right? Because the only name that is mentioned in both is La ilaha illahu. Right? None has the right to be worshipped except Allah. However, that's a weak hadith. So he says either the hadith are authentic but generic, or they are inauthentic and then they are specified. So the scholars of Islam they differed over this issue into two main points of view. The first of them is that a number of scholars said that there's no such thing as the greatest name of Allah. No such thing. Ismullah al-A'zam doesn't exist. And Ibn Hajj rahimahullah in his Fatul al-Bari, which is his masterpiece, right? His explanation of Sahih al-Bukhari, it's an amazing work. He goes through all of this in detail. He says that there's a body of scholars who said that the name of Allah, being a greatest name of Allah, doesn't exist. There's no such thing as the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this was the opinion of some of the well-known scholars of the Salaf, like al-Imam al-Tabari. Rahimahullah, the famous scholar of tafsir, he held this opinion. Abu Hassan al-Ash'ari, Rahimahullah, he held this opinion. Abu Hatim ibn Hibban, the famous scholar of hadith. Ibn Hibban, his famous collection of hadith, Sahih ibn Hibban, he was from amongst those scholars who held this hadith, uh, this view, that there is no such thing as the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what did they say then? All of these ahadith that are mentioned, right? Whether they're weak or authentic, or all of these ahadith that speak about this term, what do they refer to? He said that what they said is they gave a number of opinions, a number of opinions as to what it refers to. The first of them is that actually what the name refers to is al-Azim. That all of the names of Allah are great. So the word a'zam means azim. 
So it's referring to all of Allah's names being great. Not that one name has added virtue over other names. Right? And by the way, even in the Quran, right, there is a, a, a body of opinion amongst some of the scholars. Because you know in the Quran we have surahs and verses that have added virtue. So for example, Surah Fatiha, Ayat Al-Kursi, Surah Ikhlas, as we mentioned, that they have added virtue. There is a body of opinion amongst some scholars who said what? They said that there is no such thing as parts of the Quran having more virtue over other parts of the Quran. That's not the meaning, right? And we mentioned some of those opinions last week when we said, what does it mean that ikhlas is a third of the Quran, right? It equals a third of the Quran. What does that actually refer to? And we said that, that it means, you know, some of the scholars said that it doesn't mean actually reward. It refers to its meanings, right? That the Quran is divided into three, and therefore by terms of meaning or subject matter, it covers a third of the Quran, right? So that's like an opinion, right? Amongst some of the scholars of tafsir. So he's saying the same thing here. That some of the scholars of tafsir, what did they say? They said uh, that there is no such thing as the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather, it means that all of the names of Allah are great. And this was the opinion of uh, At-Tabari rahimahullah. That's how he interpreted these ahadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that they don't refer to one being greater over the other, but rather they refer to all of them being great. And that's why each hadith has different names mentioned, right? Some of them mention two names, some more, some less, and so on, meaning all of them refer to all of Allah's names being great, not to give one virtue over another. Some of the other scholars said, uh, like Ibn Hibban, rahimahullah, he said that what it refers to is reward. That to call upon Allah using those names is more rewarding. So it doesn't mean that those names are greater than the other names of Allah. It just means that it's more rewarding to use those names in terms of dua. That you have more reward in terms of using them in your dua. Other scholars said, no, what it refers to, right, and this is now the third way of explaining those hadith. So we have number one, it means azim, great. All of the names of Allah are great. Number two, it's referring to reward. Number three, they said that what it refers to is the way uh, that you make dua. So if you're making dua and your heart is attentive, you're concentrating, it's full of khushur, you have piety of Allah, your heart has sincerity, and then you make dua to Allah using a name, that's the greatest name of Allah. And that's why a number of those hadith are what that we mentioned, the duas that people are making. And so the scholars say it's not referring to the words or the names being referred to. What the Prophet ﷺ is referring to is the state of the person making the dua. That that man or that person was making dua in such a way, with such attentiveness, with such, such sincerity, that the Prophet ﷺ said this is a dua that won't be rejected. It wasn't to do with the wording, wasn't to do with the name. What's it to do with? It's to do with the, the, the attentiveness of, Allah subhanahu, uh, of, the, of the person making the dua towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the fourth opinion is that it's to do with the name that is befitting to the situation that you're in. So you're asking Allah for provision, what name are you going to use? Razzaq. You're asking Allah for forgiveness, what name do you use? Ghafoor rahim right? You're asking Allah for a child, what name do you use? Al-Wahhab. Right? and so on and so forth. That's what it refers to. So Ibn Hajjur Rahimahullah says, this is the first opinion. Right? The opinion that there is no such thing as the greatest name of Allah 
That's not the meaning of the hadith. But rather it means one of four things. Number one, that all of Allah's names are great. Al-A'zam means azim. Number two, it's referring to the reward. By using those names you get more reward. Not that they are greater than the other names of Allah. Number three, that it's to do with your state as you're making dua, your iman, your khushu' and so on. And number four, is to do with it being specific to what you're making dua for, that it's befitting to the dua that you are making. The second opinion, Ibn Hajj rahimahullah mentions the second body of scholars, they said no, there is such a thing as the name of Allah that is called Al-A'zam, the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, they further divided into two. Those people who said there is such a, a thing as the name of Allah that is Al-A'zam, the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they further divided themselves into two. The first are those who said that only Allah knows what that name is. Yes, there is a greatest name of Allah, but Allah Allah knows best as to what that name is. It's something which Allah has kept hidden with himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? That's, um, that's one opinion amongst those who affirmed the presence or the affirmed uh, the existence of the greatest name of Allah. And the second opinion, right? And if you wanted, you could say that these are three distinct opinions, right? One who said that there's no such thing as the greatest name of Allah. One who said that there is such a thing, but only Allah knows. And then the third opinion, and that is those scholars who said that yes, not only is there such a thing as the greatest name of Allah, but we also know what it is. So it's there, and we know what it is. It's been specified to us, or we know what it is. Those people who held this opinion then differed. Ibn Hajar rahimahullah, he says they differed over how many opinions? Does anyone know? Fourteen. One, four opinions. Right? Fourteen different opinions. As to what is that specific name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is Al-A'zam, the greatest name of Allah azza wa jal. And uh, I'm just seeing if I have those fourteen for you. Do you want the fourteen? Yeah. Yeah? Alright, okay. So the 14 names that he mentions, and this is all, by the way, Ibn Hajar rahimahullah mentions all of them in Fathul Bari. The first one is Huwa. The first one is Huwa, meaning he. Huwa, meaning he. The second is the name Allah. The third is Allahur Rahmanur Rahim. Allah Rahmanur Rahim. That's the third. Number four is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. Number five is Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. So just by itself. So number four is Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. Number five is just Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. Number six is Al-Hannan Al-Mannan Badi'u Al-Samawati Wal-Ardu Al-Jalali Wal-Ikram Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum You ask for them Al-Hannan Al-Mannan Badi'u Al-Samawati Wal-Ardu Al-Jalali Wal-Ikram Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum They're basically just taking the whole hadith They're like just say it all Number seven بديع السماوات والأرض ذو الجلال والإكرام بديع السماوات والأرض ذو الجلال والإكرام نمبر 8 ذو الجلال والإكرام 
نمبر نائن اللہ لا الہ الا هو الاحد الصمد الذي لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا احد اللہ الذي لا الہ الا هو and then just put اخلاص in brackets اللہ الذي لا الہ الا هو الاحد الصمد الذي لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا احد نمبر 10 ربي ربي my lord my lord Right? Rabbi, Rabbi. And by the way, all of them, uh, or, or, or I think most of them anyway, are mentioned in different hadith. But not all of them are mentioned in a hadith that say that they are the greatest name of Allah. But scholars have deduced, right? Scholars have uh, made analogy and deduced and so on. So like Rabbi, Rabbi is mentioned in the hadith of the man who goes out to the desert and he loses his, you know, and he's about to die and so on. He holds up his hands and what does he say? Rabbi, Rabbi, right? He calls out to Allah and he says, my Lord, my Lord. So they said it's Rabbi Rabbi. Number 11, the dua of Yunus alayhi salam and he was in the belly of the whale. La ilaha illa anta subhanak, inni kuntu min al-dhalim. And again, that's mentioned in the Quran, right? That Allah Azza wa Jal responded to it. And there's a hadith, the Prophet said, whoever makes this dua in time of calamity, Allah will respond to it. Number 12, huwa Allahu alladhi la ilaha illa hu, Rabbul arsh al-azim. وَاللَّهُ الَّذِي لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا هُوْ رَبُّ الْعَرْشِ الْعَظِيمِ Number 13 They said that it is one of the names of Allah that are mentioned you know, in the Quran. <laughs> so just say all 99 or whatever there. Mention them all. And number 14 is it is the statement of Tawheed لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا الله. <laughs> So these are the 14 opinions that uh, Ibn Hajar rahimahullah mentions in Fathul Bari, that the scholars divided themselves over them. So we have what? We have two broad opinions, no such thing as Ismullah al-Azam. Second opinion says, yes there is. Right? And those who said no, they divide into four. It, you know, how do you explain those hadith? They divide into four. Number one was, it means azim. Number two is, it's reward. Number three is, it's the state of the person making dua. Number four is, it's to do with how the name is befitting the dua, right? how it corresponds to the dua. Second opinion, broad category of opinion, is yes, there is something as Ismullah al-Azam. That's further divided into two. Some scholars said it's there, but we don't know what it is. Allah knows best. The others said it is there, but at the same time, we know what it is. And they divided themselves into those 14 that we just mentioned. The strongest of those opinions, those 14, are two. Strongest of those opinions, those 14, are two. The first is that it is the name of Allah, Al-Hayyul Qayyum. And this was the opinion of Imam Nawawi, Rahimahullah. Uh, in our times, I think Sheikh Sa'adi, like more recently, the, the scholar of Tafsir, Tafsir Al-Sa'adi, I think he supports this opinion, if I'm not mistaken. Sheikh Al-Sayameen, Rahimahullah, held this opinion. Uh, and also... Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim mention this opinion and they support it to some degree. Ibn Qayyim seems to lean towards more the second opinion, but he mentions this and he, and he attributes some of it to his teacher, Shaykh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah. That they said, uh, the name of Allah that is Al-A'zam is Al-Hayyu Al-Qayyum. Right? And that's the one that's mentioned in all three verses in Baqarah Al-Imran, in Taha, as we mentioned, the name Al-Hayyul Qayyum is the one that comes in all three of those surahs, and it is mentioned in some of those other hadith 
that we mentioned as well. That's the first opinion. The second opinion that is also strong is the opinion that it is the name Allah itself. Ismul Adam huwa lafzul jalala. The name Allah. And this was the opinion of um, scholars of the past, including Imam al-Sha'bi, Imam Abu Hanifa, uh, Imam al-Tahawi, uh, Abu Hanifa's student, Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani, and others. Right? They said, and it's mentioned, and it is like something that Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah seems to support, and it's mentioned um, by a number of other scholars as well, that they said that the greatest name of Allah Azza wa Jal is Allah. Zayd ibn Jabir rahimahullah was one of the scholars of the past. Ibn Abi Hatim in his tafsir he says that the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Allah. And he said, have you not heard the statement of Allah? Huwa Allahu alladhi la ilaha illahu alimu al-ghaybi wa shahada huwa rahmanu rahim The verse in Surah Al-Hashr and he said, using this verse that the greatest name of Allah is the name Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Imam al-Sha'bi rahimahullah ta'ala he said, and Imam Sha'bi is one of the scholars of the past uh, from the time of the Tabi'een. He said, Ismullah al-Azam, Ya Allah. The greatest name of Allah is the name Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as we said, this was the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah, Imam al-Tahawi, uh, the famous scholar who wrote Al-Aqid al-Tahawiyah. Uh, they all said it is the same thing, and that is that it is the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah said, because the name Allah is the name that all of the other names return to. It refers to all of the other names. So Allah means the God. Right? Every other name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers back to this name. And that's why we said before, you know, like when we, I think we were going through the Basmala, we said that in the Quran, Allah, we, don't, we don't say that from the names of Ar-Rahman is Allah. But rather we say from the names of Allah is Ar-Rahman. Right, because that's the, the basis and that's the essence of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And other scholars, um, so I have like all of these statements here, Imam al-Tahawi's statement and Abu Hanifa rahimahullah's statement and all of the scholars. In fact, there's one from the Shafi'is and the Malikis and the Hanafis and the Hanbalis, all of them kind of saying that it is Ismullah al-Azam. So it is something which is like a well-known opinion amongst uh, the opinions out there that when it comes to which of those is the greatest names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it is the name Allah azza wa jal itself and uh, Shaykh Umar al-Ashqar rahimahullah uh, who was a scholar who passed away only a few years ago in, in Kuwait um, he said that it is the name Allah because it is the only name that all of the different texts of the Quran and the Sunnah seem to refer to right? it, is the, it is the one that they refer to and he said, because it is the name of Allah that is most mentioned in the Quran. He said it is mentioned 2,697 times. 2,697 times. And so therefore it is the name that is most mentioned by Allah himself. And therefore it is the name that is the greatest of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whereas other names such as Rahman mentioned 50 odd times and you know so on and so forth. So... There's a massive difference between the other names of Allah Azza wa Jal and the name Allah, 2,697 times. So the scholars said it is Allah, right? And Al-Hayyul Qayyum is also one of those opinions. 
and to be honest, to use more than one name, so to say, Allahul Hayyul Qayyum, Allahu La Ilaha Illahu Al Hayyul Qayyum, as is mentioned in the Quran, that's something which then you can do to combine between those different opinions, and Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala knows best. So that's the name Allah Azza wa So Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala says, "Qul Huwa Allah." Say He is Allah. Ahad. Qul Huwa Allahu Ahad. What is the meaning of Ahad? Ahad means it's generally translated as the one, right? So if you look at most translations, they translate it as meaning the one. And there's a couple of questions here. Number one, why doesn't Allah Azza wa Jal call himself Al-Ahad? Why doesn't Allah say, Qul Allahu Al-Ahad? Because that's the norm in the Quran, right? When Allah refers to his names, what does he always do at the beginning? He adds Al, Al-Qawi, Al-Aziz. Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Ghafoor, Al-Sami' Al-Basir, Al-Alim, Al-Hakim. That's the norm in the Quran. However, in this surah, Allah Azza wa Jal does what? He says, Ahad. And he doesn't put an Al in there. The second question here is, why does Allah Azza wa Jal refer to himself as Ahad and not Wahid? What does Wahid mean? One. And what does Ahad mean? One. What's the difference between Wahid and Ahad? Why, why mention Ahad here and not mention Wahid? And the second question, or the third question rather, is why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mention Ahad twice? Why does Allah azza wa mention Ahad twice? He mentions it once in the first verse and once in the, in the last verse. Right? So, regarding the first question and that is why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala call himself Ahad and not Al-Ahad they said because Allah azza wa jal this name belongs only to Allah no one else has the name Ahad no one else uses it so Wahid is something which is used right people call themselves Wahid and Wahid is used in a numbering system but no one uses Ahad so Allah azza wa jal doesn't have to call himself Al-Ahad he simply says, Ahad. Allah is alone. Allah is one. Allah is unique in every way, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though in the sunnah, there is mention as Al-Ahad. Al-Wahid, Al-Ahad. Al-Fard, Al-Samad. Right? Those names are mentioned and it's mentioned with the Al. So it's allowed to put the Al in there. And obviously if it's a name, right? So someone's going to name their child Al-Ahad, then they put Abdul Ahad. Right? They don't put Abd Ahad. Right? Abdul Ahad. However, in this verse, Allah Azza wa Jal simply says he is Ahad. Because Allah Azza wa Jal is the only one who uses this name subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for why it's Al-Ahad and not Wahid, the scholars said because Al-Ahad has no, uh, it means unique. Whereas Wahid means one. And what is the difference between the two? Wahid means that you can add more to it. Because one in the numbering system means you can have two, you can have three, you can have four, you can have five. And what is Allah Azza wa Jal establishing here in this surah? His uniqueness subhanahu wa ta'ala. That he is alone. That he has no partner, no child, no one with him subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he doesn't use the word wahid, even though wahid is from the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is al-wahid. But Allah Azza wa Jal uses ahad. Because it's not open to the meaning of there being anything in addition to him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why in the Arabic language, <coughs> if you were to say, for example, لا يقاومه واحد, 
No one or no one person is equal to this person. When you say no one person is equal to this person, that opens the possibility that two people can be equal to this one person. Because you said no one person is equal. But two people may be equal, three may be equal, 15 may be equal, 100 may be equal. But when you say لا يقاومه أحد, no one is like this person, now you've excluded every other possibility. Right? There is no one out there. So Allah uses the name Ahad because of this property. That it gives him exclusivity subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Allah is unique, Allah is exclusive, there is nothing similar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And other scholars said, like Imam al-Mawardi rahimahullah, he said that it's referred to as al-Ahad, because al-Ahad means that there can be nothing else out there, not only that will that is a partner to Allah, or for example, something out there that is a child to Allah Azza wa Jal, but that there isn't even anything like Allah with Allah. Right? Does that make sense? There's not even a God like Allah with Allah. So when we say there's nothing similar to Allah, yeah, there's no partners, there's no children, you know, none of the humans, none of the angels, none of the prophets, none of the messengers are with Allah Azza wa Jal in terms of his lordship and his, and, his, and his attributes of being a God subhanahu wa ta'ala. But Al-Ahad or Ahad means that even there is not even a God like Allah with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even amongst, you know, if, if there was a God like Allah, even that possibility is rejected and it is refused. Right? And that is why Allah uses the name Ahad. Other scholars said that they mean the same thing. Al-Ahad and Wahid mean the same thing. And this was reported as being the opinion of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma Ibn al-Jawzi rahimahullah. They said that the two things actually mean the same. Right? So that's the second question. Right? So the first question was what? Why is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala why does he call himself Ahad and not Al-Ahad? And we said he calls himself Ahad because that name is unique to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one else is called Ahad. Whereas Samad, other people are called Samad. Aziz is a name. Alim is a name. Right? Other names of Allah Azza wa can be used for others. But the names that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are unique, only belong to him, they don't need an Al even in the Quran and that's why Allah Azza wa uses Ahad. The second question why does Allah Azza wa Jalla use Ahad and Awahid? Because it gives him a more unique, uh, makes Allah Azza wa more unique, and makes Allah Azza wa more singular, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that there is nothing similar to him in any way, shape, or form. And the third question, why does Allah Azza wa use Ahad twice? The scholars said the first time is to affirm Allah, affirm something about Allah, and the second time it is to negate something from Allah. Say he is Allah, the one. Affirmation. And then, There is no one, nothing similar to him. Negation. So Allah Azza wa uses both. And that's why we said the term Ahad is more unique. Right? It can be used in affirmation and negation. It requires that Allah, whereas Wahid is open no, to there being a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and so on and so forth. Right? Whereas Ahad is unique to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. And I think we'll, we'll stop there for today. Um, yeah, because we have another lengthy discussion about this first. So inshallah, we'll, I think we'll pause there today. Any questions? Nothing on the name. You know when we talk about the name Ahad, uh, and we spoke about Ahman before, normally there's a question which is, what's the one name which is specific to Allah? And you know, Ahman said Ahman. 
Yeah, and there are other names that are specific to them. Meaning that you mean that no one else can name themselves with? Yeah. Yeah, so it's not the scholars don't say that there's only one. They say that there's a number of them. So Ahad would be from them, Rahman is from them, Allah is from them. There may be others as well. Um, but what they're looking at is things that other people wouldn't be described with. So Qawi is the name of Allah, but Qawi can be used to describe others, right? Other people are Qawi, strong, right? Aziz, Hakim, Alim, right? Sami' Basir. These are terms that, yes, they're names of Allah, but they can be used to describe other than Allah as well. You can say that something has sight, something has hearing, something has, and so on. Those names that are unique to Allah are names that no one else would be described with. Right? The Ahad, that he is unique. Right? Ar-Rahman, Allah. These are names that are specific to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah knows best. Of the 14 names that you said are, um, said to be so what are why those two names that I say they're the strongest or most likely to be Allah's greatest name Al-Hayyul Qayyum and the name Allah number one because that's what the majority of scholars said right and number two because most of the hadith and verse of the Quran that speak about this concept they those are the two names that most commonly appear throughout all of them the name Allah and the name Al-Hayyul Qayyum. Yeah, how many times has come? And the vast majority of the scholars who have gone through this in detail have chosen one of those two to be the basis of, of their... That's the majority of the scholars. The question online, in light of this discussion, what does the name Witr mean? The name Witr means, literally means odd. Right? It means to, something that is an odd number. Right? And so what we're referring to when Allah Azza wa says, Inna Allah, the Prophet said, Inna Allah witrun, yuhibbul witr. Allah Azza wa is an odd number and he likes things done in an odd number. Allah's odd number is one. Right? And therefore he likes things done in odd numbers. And that's why the sunnah is, you know, in dua and so on, that three times is generally considered to be the odd number that you do. And, and there is, so one of the things that also, and this is not our discussion here, but there are names that Allah Azza wa is given are they actually names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Like, do we say that they are from the names of Allah azza wa jal, right? And there is a difference of opinion, like names like Quitr. Is that actually a name of Allah? Or is it an attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is an odd number? Like the name Sattar, that Allah conceals, right? Allah veils. Right? And we know that's mentioned in the Sunnah, the Prophet that Allah veils people who veil others. But do we say that Allah is as Sattar? The one who veils, right? That's an issue of difference of opinion, right? Al Majid, right? Allah, huh? Al Qadim, yeah. All of these, like that, are mentioned as attributes of Allah in the Quran or in the Sunnah, rather. Do we take from them names? And that's why names you can take attributes from. But attributes, can you take names from them? That's an issue of uh, discussion amongst the scholars of theology. I know you mentioned the names. The one that goes in detail. So the hadith of, uh, I think it's in the Tirmidhi, where the 99 names are mentioned in detail, like they're actually named, that's a weak hadith to the best of my knowledge and, and according to my, um, my limited study on the issue. That's a weak hadith, one that says that they are exclusive to these 99. But there are 99 out there, because we know the Prophet said that there are 99 names and it's an authentic hadith, but they're not necessarily the 99 that are mentioned in that one narration. 
But there are scholars who have gathered 99 using authentic narrations, but they're not just mentioned in one place. They're mentioned in multiple verses, multiple hadith, and you bring them together. But that list of 99 that's mentioned as one narration, Prophet said, the 99 are, and then 99, that's, that's like a, a weak hadith. No, there are more than 99 names of Allah. So what's the hadith you're referring to about the 99? Okay, so, so there are more than 99 names of Allah because I mentioned in the Sunnah the Prophet used to make the hadith, uh, the dua of the Allahumma inni abduk, ibn abdik, ibn amatik, nasiyati biyadik. Part of the hadith is, and we ask, we call upon Allah using every name that he named himself or that he taught to one of his creation or that revealed in one of his books or that he kept with the knowledge of the unseen with him. Meaning that there are names of Allah that we don't know about. And the Prophet said that on the day of judgment when he prostrates before the throne of Allah, he will praise Allah in ways that he wasn't taught before. Meaning using names and attributes and ways to praise Allah that no one in creation or no one in this life was taught. So there are those are with the knowledge of Allah. So there's more than 99. However, there are 99 that we know of because it's mentioned in the hadith where the Prophet said Allah has 99 names, whoever encompasses them will enter paradise. The question is, what are those 99? Are they mentioned in one narration or are they scattered? That one narration is a weak hadith. But they are there, like the scholars who have written books, but not using that one hadith, going through the different, like, you know, and they've, they've gathered 99. So, yeah. Just have to work a bit harder. That's all. Yeah. Sorry? So, Kabir is normally mentioned in terms of, um, they're, they're similar in meaning, especially like when you translate them in English, because we, we translate the same, Allahu Akbar is Allah is the greatest, and Al-Azam is also the greatest. But in Arabic, there is, Azama comes from honor and majesty, whereas Kabir is like the greatest in terms of science, right? Whereas Azim is greatness in terms of majesty and in honor and so on. So there's a slight, like there's a, a, a like a, a subtle difference between the two, but there is, uh, they kind of overlap, especially when you translate them into English. So you can use these these terms. Are you talking about like akbar and a'zam? Yeah, you can use them in like, uh, they're used in Arabic language, right? So you say, for example, so-and-so is akbar than so-and-so, he's bigger than so-and-so. Right? Akbar in the English, in the Arabic language, especially as today, refers also to age, right? Or refers to someone being bigger, like physically. So you say so-and-so is bigger than so-and-so, right? Or this person is a'zam, right? They're greater in terms of their strength and, and whatever, their presence and so on. It's, it's used in, in, in everyday, every day. And that's why when it's spoken about with Allah, what do we do? We just add the al, the making it unique to Allah. He's the greatest. Right? He's Al-Akbar. Right? Al-A'zam, and so on and so forth. Or Allah, you put in the name Allah before, like Allahu Akbar, Allahu A'zam. Allahu, like that. And then, yeah, that's what you do. Okay, barakallahu feekum. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.